Well, I thought today we'd talk a little bit about Thanksgiving, since obviously Thanksgiving is on this coming Thursday. Um, one of the things that I personally like about Thanksgiving, you're going to say the food. No, well, that food is good. But one of the things I like about Thanksgiving as a holiday is that it's not as commercialized, I guess you could say, as all the other ones. You know, you got Halloween, and that's just kind of off the wall. And even for Christmas, I mean, they just kind of skip over Thanksgiving and go launch right into uh, Christmas after Halloween and all the store decorations and everything. But there's just something about Thanksgiving where you don't have all the pressure. You're not out shopping and buying people gifts and wondering if they're going to like it or not. And, you know, wondering where you're going to go and having people over and all this stuff and decorating the house. And I mean, it's just more relaxed, it seems. Um, And, you know, Thanksgiving is supposed to be a holiday where we acknowledge our Creator. That's what the original intent was. We need to be reminded about that. It was established by President Washington on November 26, 1789, as a national holiday. It started out as a religious holiday. And we know the story, you know, the pilgrims who came over on the Mayflower and they got together and and they signed the Mayflower Compact, that they called it. And the revisionist, <clears throat> excuse me, of history would have us to believe that this nation was not founded on Christian principles. I'm just going to read one sentence. If you ever get a chance, go online and read the whole thing yourself. Just type in Mayflower Compact and it'll come up. Just one quote from this compact that they put together, this agreement. <clears throat> It says, having undertaken for the glory of God an advancement of the Christian faith. If that doesn't sound like a Christian principle, I don't know what does. You know, we forget about that. That they were here to establish and advance the Christian faith faith on this nation. Uh, We forget about that when we talk about the pilgrims. You know, we think about how the pilgrims got together and they had their first Thanksgiving meal with the, uh, their guests, the Indians. And, you know, I'm sure it was a little different than what we do today. You know, I don't know what you eat in your home for Thanksgiving, but usually we have turkey and maybe some ham even, um, mashed potatoes, yams, uh, cream corn, uh, you know, filling, cranberry sauce, pumpkin pie. Are you hungry? Yeah. Well, it was a little different back then, I think. So I did a little research to see what they ate. You know, uh, by the way, is anybody deep frying their turkey this year? No, that's kind of like a fad that's come and gone, isn't it? You know, uh, I, I, I listened to to, to 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 one person. You know, they said, "Well, I was all ready to do it, and then I went on the internet and was looking for directions how to do it." And you know, the directions on how to do it were like five pages and danger here and danger there. So because I just didn't do it. Because I didn't want to burn my whole house down. We did it a couple of years ago when Will and Crystal were here. And uh, you know, it was kind of interesting. We got the cooker and all that stuff. And you know, Will and I were out there under our backyard canopy there with this this uh thing, you know, jack the heat up on it, and it's like, yeah, we're gonna cook as a turkey, you know. We get the, the the bird out there, and it's like, you know, drop him in, okay, you know. Got the grandkids standing back, wow, you know. Things starts to bubble and fizzle and all sorts of things. And, you know, it says 40, 45 minutes. I'm like, ah, this is a big turkey. Well, what do you think? Ah, 60 minutes minimum. Yeah, that's what I'm, ah, 60 minutes. 45 minutes would have been just fine. 
You know, the turkey was okay, but the leftovers, man, they were like eating bark. So uh, that was my experience with deep fried turkey. But, you know, we don't really know for sure what they ate back then, but historians kind of put together a list of stuff that they probably ate in their 1621 feasts when they came together. Things like cod, eel, clams, lobster, getting a little better. Clams and lobster, I don't know about the cod and eel. They had wild turkey, they had goose, they had duck. They probably ate crane, swan, partridge. In a pear tree? No. Eagles. I thought that was a little unpatriotic, but you know, I guess it wasn't the national bird back then, so that's okay. Uh, venison. They also ate seal. And they probably had radishes and carrots and plums and grapes and all sorts of nuts, walnuts, and acorns. But you stop and you, you think about that. And, you know, if you're... You know, when it comes to Thanksgiving dinner and you're all sitting down around the meal, you know, it's kind of, you're looking at this big carved turkey there. And I don't know if you like white meat or dark meat, you know, it's just kind of choice that people make. Or what part of the bird, do you want the wing or do you want the, you know, part of the breast or do you want the, the, uh, my wife's like, I'll take the gizzards. It's like, yeah, you can have the gizzards or whatever that is, you know, the little bag inside there. Oh my goodness. All sorts of goodies in there. But uh, when she's done cooking them, they're not actually that bad. But uh, it's the idea is kind of gross. But, you know, then you have the drumstick. And it's like the drumstick usually, you know, for something with little kids and stuff, it, for, for little kids, it seems like a pretty popular, you know, you just hold that baby right in your hand, you chew your way around it, you know, like a cob of corn or something. And it's popular. You know, you go to a state fair, they have turkey drumsticks. You know, you can carry them around. Go down here to uh, Harry's Hofbrau. You can go in there and get a turkey drumstick meal. And it's cheap. It's like five bucks. You know, big old drumstick of a turkey. Well, this one farmer thought about this. And uh, he was raising turkeys. And he thought, you know, if I can come up with a turkey that had more than two legs, I would make some money. So he got out back in his garage, in his barn there, and he was working on this for couple years and finally he produced a turkey with six legs and he was telling his friend this you know yeah we got this turkey with six legs and the guy looked at him well you know tell me what did it taste like his reply was i don't know we never caught it (laughs) it's six legs you know (laughs) crazy i mean that's kind of crazy but you know but i say all that to say this it's sometimes it's very easy during this time of the year with Thanksgiving and even Christmas, to lose our perspective, to forget that we have so much to be thankful for. And as I said earlier, we're going to have a time of Thanksgiving. And, you know, it's, it's not going to be, you know, some big drawn-out thing, but it's going to be a time where you'll have an opportunity just, you know, to tell the body what you're thankful for. And I encourage you to participate in that uh, before we have communion together. But it seems like sometimes we're having a hard time. Sometimes our health isn't what it should be. Sometimes our finances aren't what it should be, what they should be, or maybe we're having family issues. And, uh, you know, it's hard during those times to give thanks. It truly is. But we should still do it. We should still do it. Someone wrote this. It's called Blessings. 
He wrote, if you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are more blessed than the million who won't survive the week. If you have never experienced the danger of battle or the loneliness of imprisonment or the agony of torture or the pains of starvation, you are ahead of 20 million people around the world. If you attend a church meeting without fear of harassment or arrest or torture or death, you're more blessed than almost 3 billion people in the world. If you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back and a roof over your head and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of this world's population. If you have money in the bank, money in your wallet, maybe some spare change in a dish someplace, you are among the top 8% of the world's most wealthiest people. If you hold your head up with a smile on your face and you're truly thankful, you are blessed because the majority can, but it doesn't seem like the majority does. If you can read this message, you are more blessed than over 2 billion people in the world that cannot read anything at all. You are so blessed in ways that you may never even know. See, when you put it that way, (laughs) we may have a little bit more to be thankful for than we realize. And by the way, just to let you know, that's why God created you and put you here on earth. He created us and He left us here on earth so that we would glorify His name, that we would give thanks to His name. You look through the pages of Scripture and we're urged to do that over and over and over again. One place is Psalm 106, verse 1. Psalm 106, verse 1 says this, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. We sang about that this morning. In Colossians 3, 17 Paul writes, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then there's Hebrews 13, 15, which reads, through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. You know, as I was reading that verse... I thought of this this past week. I thought, you know, I don't often think of praise. I don't often think of worship as being a sacrifice. I don't know. Do you? Do you get up on Sunday morning? Got to go sacrifice. Got to go to church and praise and worship God. You know, it's going to be a big sacrifice. I don't think that way. But you know what? Praise and worship can be a sacrifice because there are times in our lives when that's the last thing we feel like doing. There are times when we don't want to praise the Lord. There are times when we don't want to worship Him. There are times when we're down, we're discouraged, maybe even depressed. Things aren't going that well in our lives. Maybe we've had hardship or some kind of tragedy befall us. And the last thing that's on our mind is to give God praise and worship because we don't feel like praising him we don't feel like worshiping him it's interesting because when i read that verse praise the lord i'll give thanks to the lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever 
It doesn't tell us to praise the Lord when you feel good. <laughs> you notice that? It doesn't say praise the Lord when you feel good. But it says praise the Lord because of what? Because He is good. Sometimes we get that backwards. Sometimes we forget that. So here we are in Luke 17. And this passage is going to be kind of familiar with us because we've been going through Matthew 8. And we've dealt with some of the issues that we're going to see here this morning. So I thought it was just kind of a natural progression into this passage. But we see here in in Luke 17 a story of ten men. And these ten men had a significant amount to give give thanks for. They were, in the society of the day, complete outcasts because they had this scourge of leprosy upon their lives. They were lepers. And we learned a couple weeks ago how low lepers were in society. I mean, they were total outcasts. They had to go around covering their mouth saying unclean lest anyone would come six to six feet on a calm day, 150 feet on a windy day. You weren't allowed near them. So they had that stigma going for them. We talked about how they were an illustration of sin, a walking illustration of sin. And yet Jesus went out of his way here in this passage to heal them of this horrible disease of leprosy. And we're going to see that only one of these ten came back and thanked the Lord. Only one knew what it meant to give gratitude unto the Lord, to be thankful. And Jesus asked a probing question here, and I think he's still asking the same question today. So let's look at Luke chapter 17, and I just want to read this story for us, beginning in verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then he entered a certain village. There met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. That's what they had to do, remember? We, We learned that a couple weeks ago. And they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go, show yourself to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, these ten men had the worst possible disease that you could ever have during that time. They were societal outcasts. They wore certain clothing so people would would know who they are. It was a horrible disease. And we learned that the disease basically causes you to lose any sense of touch. And one thing I learned this past week, just doing a little more research on the on the disease of leprosy is what happens with leprosy is you lose the touch in your in your fingers and your toes and your your skin and one commentator said that you know sometimes it would get so bad these appendages these fingers and toes would just fall off but more than not it wasn't that they would fall off 
in the society of Jesus, at the time of, of Jesus' day, what would happen is at night when you were sleeping, little varmints could come and actually chew your finger off and you wouldn't even know it or chew your toe off. And that was probably why a lot of times they were missing certain limbs. Just they couldn't feel it at all. That's right. And so it was this horrible, horrible disease. And so you have these men here in verse 11 at various stages of leprosy. And the Bible says they cry out and they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, I don't know where they heard this, but Jesus, as we've seen, has been healing people all over the place. I mean, he had an incredible ministry of, of healing people. And it was, it was here the, these guys knew that. They knew who Jesus was. They probably had seen Jesus heal certain people, maybe even another leper, maybe even the leper in Matthew 8 we looked at. And he saw them heal them with a touch or a word. Maybe they thought, hey, maybe he'll heal us. But I look at Jesus' response here, and it's rather interesting. (laughs) Look at what he says in verse 14. So when Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go show yourself to the priest. That's interesting. Now we've learned that, why would they go to the priest? Do you remember why they would go to the priest? Right, well, they were unclean, but if they actually got healed of their leprosy, that's right. They had to go to the priest, and the priest was the only one who could do this inspection over a period of, of seven, eight days, and they did this sacrifice and all this stuff, and the guy, was, if he was truly healed, they would hand that leper, or that former leper, a certificate. And they would say, here, now here's your ticket back into society. Because they weren't allowed around people. So if someone said they were healed, they had to verify it. Because it was very contagious back then. But here Jesus just says, go and show yourself to the priest. He doesn't lay a hand on them. He doesn't touch them. He doesn't promise them any healing. He just says, go show yourself to the priest. That's not what I would want to hear. I wouldn't want to go to a doctor and you walk in and you're sick and the doctor just said, looks at you and says, go home. Like, what? I came here for a purpose. I mean, can you imagine what these guys are thinking? This isn't how he handled the other guy. I mean, the other guy reached out and touched him. Why would he do that? Why would he just tell these people to go see the priest? They weren't healed yet. Doesn't make any sense. But Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. And I think what Jesus was doing here, and it becomes clear as we've read through the story, he was telling them, you know what? Act in faith. You act in faith on what I've told you to do. You be obedient to what I'm telling you to do. Act in faith. I don't know about you, but that's not a thing that comes easy to me, to act in faith. 
You know what? We have to do a lot of things in the Christian faith in faith. A lot of times we may not feel like it. I'm sure those lepers didn't feel like going to the priest. They weren't healed. But that's what Jesus told them to do. I want to ask you the question, how do we express gratitude when we don't feel thankful? How do we express gratitude when we don't feel thankful? There's a little clip I want you to watch just for a second. Interesting year. We walked through a presidential election process. We voted, debated, and eventually we elected a new president. And how about Wall Street in 2008? There's not a person in here whose financial situation didn't change. Hurricane Hannah and Hurricane Ike leveled our cities and our communities. Then there's the war in Iraq. And no matter what you believe about that war, we all feel it deeply in our hearts. It's like we carry sadness with us every day. People in this very room have experienced the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, the pain of a divorce, or the embarrassment of a home foreclosure. 2008. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. It's Thanksgiving. You know that time of year when we're supposed to feel thankful for our many blessings, right? So we try to feel thankful. We know we should, but it's tough to just feel thankful, especially after 2008. How do we express gratitude when we don't feel thankful? That's what I want to ask us this morning. That's the question. And if we don't feel like doing something, why should we do it? I don't know about you, but when I read the passages in the Bible that tell me as a husband that I need to love my wife as Christ loved the church, not a reflection on my wife. I've got to be careful how I say this. <laughs> but guys, you know what I'm talking about. It's virtually impossible to do that in your own strength. No matter how good your wife is. But God has told you to do it. First point here is we should obey God when we feel like it or not. We should obey God when we feel like it or not. God has told wives to submit and respect their husbands as unto the Lord, to love their husbands. Maybe that's a hard thing for you to do right now in your relationship. I heard a story about a, a couple. It's supposed to be a true story. I don't know if it is or not, but a couple that was just having major marital problems. Major. And the wife just, she'd had it. So she made the appointment with the lawyer. She went to the lawyer. Didn't say anything to her husband about this. She went in to see the, the, the lawyer and said, you know, I need to, I want a divorce. How do we do this? Well, it's pretty simple. We kind of fill out these forms and, you know, we'll get the process started. And uh, she goes, no, you don't understand. I, I want this to be very painful for him. She's just grown so bitter. I want to make this as painful as we can. And he said, okay. <laughs> Here's an idea. What I want you to do is we just kind of put this paperwork on hold for three months. And this is going to work great. You'll like this. I want you to go home, and I want you to be the best wife that you can be. I want you to love your husband. I want you to show him affection. I want you to show him respect. 
want you to do everything possible within your ability to be the best possible wife that you can be to your husband. And then I'll call you in three months. And then we'll hit him right between the eyes with the divorce. And he won't even see it coming. She, boy, she's just like, that is great. That is a great idea. I love the devious nature of it. And yeah, we just make him feel the pain. So she went home. Started to love up on her husband. Show him respect. Show him affection. And after three months, she gets a call from the lawyer. Hey, three months is up. Come on in. We'll make this guy really feel some hurt. She said, oh, you know what? She goes, we're not getting a divorce anymore. Actually, we're going on our second honeymoon. I would never divorce my husband. See, she didn't feel at first like doing that. But she did it. And she did it even in a devious motive, with a devious motive. See, sometimes we have to do things that we don't like to do because God has told us to do them. And you say, well, I'll just do it when I feel like it. I'll just tell my wife I love her when I feel like it. Or I'll just tell my husband I'll respect you when I feel like it. Or maybe we don't feel like getting involved with fellow believers. It's going to do the Sunday thing. You know, we can't. You know, do anything more than that. Because I don't feel like it. See, the Bible doesn't give you that opportunity as a believer. It really doesn't. It, it basically, it's like the commercial. Just do it. Because I told you to do it. And see, that's what Jesus was doing here. He said to them, go show yourself to the priests. That was it. We should obey God whether we feel like it or not. We should also obey God no matter whether we understand it or not. <laughs> you think of many stories in the Bible where people were told to do certain things. You think of Moses with a staff and throwing it down and it becomes a snake. And all. You know, I mean, if you came up to me and told me, hey, throw your stuff, I'd be like, what? It's going to what? I don't understand that. Sometimes we have to obey God whether we understand it or not. One other point, we should obey God whether we agree with it or not. Whether we agree with it or not. Sometimes we read a passage in Scripture and God tells us to do something. And we don't understand why God is telling us to do it. And we may not even agree that God is telling us to do it. But He tells us to do it. And we should do what He says. And not do what he says not to do. That's the other side of that. When God says, hey, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He has a purpose in saying that. He has a purpose in putting that in the scripture. It's not our option as Christians to say, well, I'm sure God will understand, you know. He's just a friend or she's just a friend and it's not serious or whatever. No, God understands a lot more than that. God understands that you can, you can be attached to somebody emotionally just like that. And when they're not a believer, that's, that's something that is not honoring to God. So he says, don't even go down that road. And yet sometimes I hear, you know, single people all the time. Oh, you know, met this person, I met that person and, you know. 
Are they a Christian? Well, no, not yet. (laughs) What are you doing? What are you doing? You're you're violating a basic principle in Scripture. Well, yeah, but they're not a bad person. They're they're good. It doesn't matter. God knows your heart. Turn over to John 15, 14. John 15, 14. Jesus said here in this, I love this verse. He says, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. You are my friends, Jesus is saying, if you do whatsoever I command you. You notice he didn't say, you are my friends if you do whatsoever you agree with. (laughs) Or you are my friends if you do whatsoever you understand. Or you do whatever is convenient for you. Or you do whatever is comfortable for you. Or easy for you. He doesn't say that. He says, you're my friends if you do whatever I command you to do. Period. Now we're to obey God even in the smallest matters in our lives. And just like these men filled with leprosy, they did just that. The story says that they went to the priest and they showed themselves and they were healed. They may have probably been healed on the way because they were being obedient. And this this crosses all age barriers. It doesn't matter whether you're old here or young. When God says to honor your parents, for this is right, this is what God has told you to do, it doesn't leave this up to some kind of a decision for you. You honor your parents, bottom line. Well, you don't understand my parents. I don't have to. God understands your parents, and the command is simply there. Be obedient. He will bless you for that. So they went to the priest and they showed themselves they were healed. And one of them, the Bible says, was a Samaritan, just like the other leper who was healed last couple weeks ago. And we know that Jews and Samaritans had no dealings whatsoever with each other. They just went to their own circles, their own corners, and stayed as far away as they could. But these lepers had leprosy in common, so they were kind of thrust together. As they were going to the priest, or as they arrived at the priest, they didn't have mirrors back then, so they didn't, you know, they couldn't say, hey, am I being healed yet? I don't know. But they had each other. I think that's why there was a group of them. (laughs) And so when they looked at each other and they're walking down the road to see the priest, or maybe they're knocking on the priest's door, wherever this healing took place, we're not sure. But at some point in their obedience, they were healed. They began to look at each other and say, whoa, Charlie, man, your nose is coming back. Yeah, yeah, look at my fingers. They're, they're popping back on there too. Oh, my feet, my feet feel different. Look at your face. It's not as disfigured anymore. And they were healed. But only one. Only one returned to give thanks, the Bible says. Then one of them, when he saw he was healed, he turned back, praising God, it says, with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. This is one of the ten lepers who obviously pled 
loudly for a healing earlier. Now he shouts forth his praise because he's healed. That word loud in the original, it's actually made up of two Greek words. And the two Greek words that it's made up of is the word is, is the two words that make up our word megaphone. So can you imagine this leper going, Hey, I'm healed! He's not having to do this, you know, unclean, unclean. Now he's shorting forth, shouting forth the praises of God. But I don't know about you, but it's kind of sad. Where are these other nine guys? Only one came back to thank the Lord. How insensitive is that? How selfish is that? How like you? How like me? We tend to forget to thank God. We're we're so quick to come to the Lord when we're in times of crisis. And then He comes through for us And I've seen this happen. Somehow the need is met or whatever, and we have the gall. Well, boy, that was luck. Got out of that one. (laughs) We never go back to thank the Lord. Reminds me of a a story of a guy. He was, John, you'll like this. He was a roofer. He's up on a four story house, pretty tall house. Middle of the morning, still some wet dew on the on the shingles that he was putting on. He was up there, you know, shingling away, putting these putting these uh, shingles on his hammer, and all of a sudden he loses his footing, and he starts to slide down this rather steep roof. And he begins to realize he's trying to grab, and there's nothing to grab. He begins to realize this is not going to be good. And about halfway down the roof, he just cries out to God as he's finishing up the rest of the half. God, please save me. Don't let me die. And just as he goes off the edge of the roof, one of his belt loops catches on a nail. He's hanging there. He pulls himself back up. He dusts himself off, kind of regains his composure. He says, never mind, God. I got it. Hello? (laughs) Or maybe we're dealing with financial issues and maybe we just don't know how we're going to pay these bills that we have setting on our kitchen table and, you know, we're going to God, God, you got to come through because, you know, this is not good. And just out of the blue, a check pops in the mail. Rebate check you forgot you even sent in. Or maybe a little check from a relative for the holidays or something that kind of came too early. But it was for the right amount. And then all of a sudden we kind of look up to God and go, I've got it covered, don't worry about it. (laughs) See, we, we forget that maybe God is behind orchestrating these things and maybe we need to return and give Him thanks for His involvement in our lives, His care, His constant care for us. We should be as quick to give thanks to God as we are to ask Him for help. We should be just as definite in returning thanks as we are in requesting help. 
Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, right? Everything, give thanks. We should give thanks even when we're in the midst of hard times. A lot of us like to read the Psalms, Psalms of David. You go through there and you read them and you know, they just speak to our hearts. They're encouraging, they're uplifting. I read one this morning. But sometimes we don't understand that there's kind of a backdrop to these psalms. Sometimes, you know, David was in the midst of some situations that weren't very unpleasant. Even this morning, we read Psalm 63, verses 3 and 4. says, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee. I will lift up my hands into your name. Those are good words for a song. Hasn't you ought to write a song like that? Oh, wait, they already did. Somebody already wrote a song like that. You know what he was doing when he wrote those words? I mean, you almost picture him out, you know, kind of on the beach, sunny afternoon, you know. Oh, gee, God's so good. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Give me another great, please. My lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee. I will lift up my hands unto your name. You know, David was running from his son, Absalom, who was trying to basically take over his kingdom. So here's David being betrayed by one of his sons, by his son, and in and, and his deep personal anguish, running as an old man constantly looking over his shoulder. He sits down and he writes, Because of thy loving kindness, it's better than life. My lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee. I will lift up my hands to thy name. See, it's easy for us to give thanks when we perceive everything is good, right? I mean, it's easy to give thanks when we come home. Honey, i got to raise. Oh, praise God. It's easy to, to praise God when, you, when you, you're meeting new friends. It's easy to praise God when you go to the doctor and he gives you the A-OK, everything's fine. No problems there. Praise God. Great health. What I found, though, it's not so easy when we are perceiving bad things in our life. When we go to work and it's our last day, <laughs> unbeknownst to us. When we don't have new friends, we don't have any friends, we're lonely, losing friends. We're having poor health. See, it's not so easy to give thanks for God during those times. But you know what? I, I've kind of seen this over the years and it's kind of an interesting thing. It's not always clear what the bad thing is and what the good thing is in this life. It's not always clear. We can't always tell what, what's the good thing from the bad thing. I mean, I've known certain people who at the time, I thought they were blessed. They thought they were blessed. Incredible success. 
money coming out their ears, not a, not a care in the world. And in the end, it destroys them. It destroys them. But it's perceived as something good. And on the other end of the spectrum, I've met people who have had very, very hard times. Major hardship. They've lamented over these horrible things in their life. One thing after the other. But they're able over the the passing of time, as time goes by, they look back on those things and they say, you know what? I thought it was a bad thing when that happened to me. When I got this disease, when this happened, when I lost that job, you can go on and on. But you know what? Now I look back, it was actually a good thing. God somehow took that bad thing and made it good. That's what our God does. Because God is a God in His sovereign wisdom. He has a way of working all these things together. The things that we even perceive as bad things. He makes them work together for good. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. It doesn't say He just works all the good things. One thing I, I, I enjoy about going to see Crystal or having Crystal come out here to see us, which she's going to be doing in December. And by the way, I didn't go see my son-in-law yesterday. That would have been quite a trip. He's like off the coast of Somalia somewhere. <laughs> but just to correct that, people are probably thinking, wow, how do you get over there? But anyway, um, when, 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 whenever we're at her house or she's at our house, she has this thing of just she loves to bake bread, biscuits, anything. Just gifted that way. She must have got it from me. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> hey, my wife would tell you that too, so I'm not saying anything out of... But the thing is, is you know, she'll, she'll take the basics. You know, she'll take some oil and some flour and some, some uh, salt and maybe some milk or buttermilk or something. Mix all the stuff together. And then she puts it out in these tins and she puts it in a really hot oven and you can't imagine what comes out of the oven i mean almost on a daily basis it's fresh bread fresh baked bread there's nothing better than putting bread hot bread with butter and maybe some jam or jelly marmalade on that and just it's just so good i can eat a whole loaf just talking about it makes me hungry but you know what i would never sit down with a bowl of flour and just go, oh, this is good. <laughs> I think I'll wash it down with some oil. <laughs> You'd never do that. I'd never drink a glass of buttermilk. I know some of you like buttermilk. I just, ah, ooh. I remember in college, actually, when I was going to Christian college down in San Diego, I was in a lot better shape then and just go to the gym every day. They had a gym right there on the campus. And, you know, you're in a gym, you start talking to people who are health nuts. And this one guy kind of befriended me and, We'd talk about health. Oh, I'd take you down to the health food store. It's like, okay. And so we go down there. And so he had me buying whole milk and, you know, uh, the, the raw milk, you know, that's got the cream on top. Great stuff. And uh, one thing I remember one day he's down there. He's like, oh, you got to get a bottle of this. I'm like, what is this? It's cod liver oil. It's like, what? Cod liver oil. You got to drink this. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, oh, yeah. 
because it's really good for your skin, tightens up your dad, all this stuff. I'm like, well, hey, whatever. It's like it's this jar. I still remember the color. It's like this brown, reddish-brown jar. You couldn't really see the oil. You just saw, you know, the outline of it in there. And we had to keep it in the refrigerator, which made it even grosser. I remember every day before work out, we go down there. Okay, let's take a couple swigs. And we undo this thing. Just the smell of this stuff would just start me gagging. You know, it was just that bad. And I'd hold my nose and drink a couple swigs. And, and then, you know, and then I'd take some milk and try to wash it away, you know, wash the taste away. But it was just gross. It was just totally disgusting. And I don't think it ever did anything for me. But I say all that just to say, you know, I wouldn't sit down necessarily and drink a glass of vegetable oil or eat a bowl of flour. But you know what? When you put all those ingredients together and you mix them properly and you put them in a very, very hot oven for a period of time, man, you can't believe what comes out. See, and that's what God does. In the same way, God takes all these events in our lives, the good, the bad, some say, and the ugly, but they take all the events in our lives and he puts them in the oven of adversity. And when it's all done, we sit back and we go, wow, I never would have thought this would have come out of all this, what I perceived to be bad. That's what God does for us. Just some closing thoughts before we have our communion time. You know, when we give thanks to God, when we give thanks to God, first of all, we have to realize that as Christians, as people who have put our faith, our trust in Christ, I still got about 10 minutes probably, so um, God is in control of all circumstances that surround our life. To give thanks to God, we must first realize that as a Christian, God is in control of all circumstances that surround my life. That's Romans 8, 28. God works all these things together for his good and his sovereign will. good example of that is Joseph in the Old Testament. You remember the story of Joseph? His brothers, you know, get jealous and take them out and want to kill them, but then they just throw them in a pit and leave them there. Think, ah, whatever. He ends up being over everybody. I mean, just amazing story. God understood that, or David or Joseph understood that as he trusted God, he would work all this together for good. Don't ever lose that that trust in a sovereign God. Secondly, to give thanks to God, we must realize that God loves us and he's always looking out for our eternal benefit. God loves us and he's always looking out for our eternal benefit. If you turn over to 2 Corinthians 4.17, 2 Corinthians 4.17, it says this, For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4.17 So we have to realize that God loves us and is looking out for our eternal benefits. That's the principle. And you know what? Satan, whenever he has the opportunity, he'll come and he'll whisper in your ear, that's not true. God does not love you. You remember, he did that with Job. Remember, he tested Job? Job was a rich man. He was wealthy. He was a righteous man. And Satan told God, well, the only reason he's praising you, the only reason he's living a a good life is because you've given him all these toys. 
let me go down and mess with Job's head a little bit in his life, and you'll see, he'll curse you. And that's exactly what God allowed Satan to do, go to Job, and he lost basically everything he had, everything. The only thing he had left was his wife and three counselors. His wife told him to curse God and die. (laughs) Nice wife, huh? And the three counselors basically looked at Job and said, well, you know what? God obviously doesn't love you, Job. Look at you. Your life's a mess. You've lost everything. You must have done something wrong. But the Bible says that Job was a perfect and upright man. He's one that feared God and shunned evil. And yet Satan came through certain individuals and whispered into Job's ear, you know what? God doesn't love you. (laughs) He did the same thing with Eve, if you think about it, in the garden. Satan was there whispering in Eve's ear, you think God loves you? If God really loved you, he'd let you eat of that tree. Why is he keeping it from you? It's because he doesn't love you, Eve. That's why. Satan said the same thing to Eve. And you know what? Satan will come to you and he'll whisper in your ear. Look at your circumstances. Do you think God loves you? Would a God of love allow this to happen to you? Pretty soon you find yourself questioning God's care and and the fact that God does love you and that he does look out for your eternal benefit. Remember, that's a lie from Satan that God doesn't love you. He loves you. And he's always looking out for your eternal benefit. Thirdly, if we're to give thanks to God, we must realize that he's wiser than we are. For some of us, that's not too hard to do. (laughs) A lot of people that are wiser than us. But, you know, I think of, you know, our grandkids. Did I tell you I have some grandkids? Um, Yeah. (laughs) Let's put them up there now. I I think of the the grandkids. and, And, you know, sometimes, I mean... You know, you're trying to explain something to them and, and uh, you know, um, maybe it's, you know, I remember one time with Sophia, I was encouraging her to kind of, you know, or eat ice cream or something and wipe your mouth when you're done. You know, you don't want all this stuff on your on your face and everything. And, and she gets that. And, and But I remember one time when she was younger, I don't know if we were at an ice cream shop or where we were, but we were outside of the shop waiting for somebody to get their ice cream and, and she's running back and forth and I remember her picking up this like rag <laughs> napkin just gross out of the you know gutter kind of on the sidewalk there and she was going to wipe her mouth with it and I'm like Sophia no and she's thinking what you know, we do this this is what we do this is what you told me to do and luckily grabbed it from her and you know but she didn't have the wisdom to discern okay that's dirty I don't want to kids don't do that see and so many times that's how we are In the same way, we have to understand that God is wiser than us. God says, don't do this, um, you know, or don't do that. And, you know, we constantly have the, well, why? I want to do this. This is fun. I won't hurt anybody. I'm going to go down this road. Well, you go ahead and do it then, and you're going to bear the consequences. That's what happens time and time again. We forget that God is wiser than us. Well, Jesus asked this question, where are the other nine? That's the question. I ask you today, have you given thanks for all that God has done for you? Are you in good health today? If you are, don't take that for granted. That could change like that. Have you given thanks that we live in a free country? 
We don't have to worry about people barging in here and arresting us. You know, I, I believe shortcoming, the day will come when that's not too far off. Do you have clothes on your back? Do you have money in the bank? How did you get here this morning? Did you drive a car? Have you thanked God for the fact that, I mean, that he's blessing our church? Maybe not in big numbers. But, you know, I, I thank God that this is a church that believes in the teaching and the preaching of God's word. That allows me to do what God has called me to do. You know, some churches wouldn't put up with this. Sermons are too long, too much doctrine, you're turning off people, you're offending people. Thank God that we're in a church that stands for the truth. I thank God we were talking a couple of weeks ago in our elders meeting. You know, sometimes at church, you go, go through the summer and kind of have a slump in the giving, and usually in fall, it picks right back up. Well, with the economy and things, things didn't pick back up. We're still doing okay. I mean, we're still kind of within the budget. But you know what? God, God is taking care of things. I mean, we are so blessed, beloved. And we forget sometimes to thank him for the little things. Have you thanked God lately that your sin is forgiven and that there's an inheritance waiting for you in heaven because of your relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ? Have you thanked God lately that he removed you from the kingdom of darkness and he transported you over and put you, transformed you into the kingdom of light? Have you thanked him lately that he put within you his very Holy Spirit to give you the power to do what he calls you to do. We need to be reminded to be like that one leper that came back and thanked the Lord for all that he's done. We don't want to forget what the Lord has done. I want you to watch the rest of this little video, just a little clip, and uh, then we'll prepare our hearts for communion. But what if we did something different this year? New lenses just for a minute. What if we stopped equating our blessings with our circumstances? Now that might just bear repeating. What if we stopped defining our blessings in terms of our circumstances and began to consider the fact that the real blessing in our lives is that we have a God who is with us no matter what? It would mean that we'd be thankful that he never leaves us and never forsakes us, ever. It would mean that we'd be grateful for worshiping a God who is chasing us and inviting us to chase Him. It would mean that we would thank the healer in the middle of the hurt. It would mean that we would express gratitude, not in response to our circumstances, but in response to who He is, period. Gratitude. It's when we realize that we're not entitled to anything. Gratitude, not for our circumstances, but for God's involvement in the middle of them. So what if this year was different? Gratitude for God's presence alone. That might just change everything. Yeah, everything. Happy Thanksgiving.
We need to express gratitude for all that God has done. And I can't think of a better time to do that than around the table of communion. I mean, every day we should have a day of thanksgiving. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. The Bible says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, sometimes we we tend to forget things. But he says, do this in remembrance of me. He says, remember this. You know, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you're thinking about right now. Maybe you're thinking about, boy, that food really made me hungry and where are we going to eat lunch? (laughs) Maybe you're thinking about, did I leave the iron on at home? But we think about things all the time. And I'm just asking you for the next couple minutes to kind of push those thoughts aside. And I want you to think about Jesus. I want you to think about his death. I want you to think about his sacrifice, his resurrection. I want you to remember him. You know, one thing that's pretty clear here is it's hard to remember somebody you never met. It's hard to recall someone you've never had any contact with. If you came up to me and said, hey, do you remember... Harold, and I never met Harold, and I don't know Harold, I'm going to have to say, sorry, I don't remember. So the first thing here this morning is, I want to ask you a simple question. Do you know him? Have you put your faith, your trust in Christ? Because you can't remember him if you've never known him. You can't remember someone you've never met. Do you have him living inside you right now? Probably most of us do. But if you don't, you know what? You can. Because the same Jesus that paid the price for your sin, He died on the cross, He rose from the dead. He's right here at this moment. I want to ask you, have you asked Him to be, you asked Jesus to be your your Lord, your Savior? Have you committed your life to Him? He wants to forgive you of every sin that you ever committed. You can do that right now, even before we take communion. Then you can take communion with us because you understand. Because it says, remember him. And for the first time in your life, maybe you'll be able to know who he is. Because Paul continues in verse 27. He whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. I mean, we're made worthy through the blood of Christ. It's not talking about being worthy in that sense. It's talking about taking communion in an irreverent way, in a frivolous way, in a way that has no meaning to you. It's talking about receiving the elements there, the bread and the the juice, without knowing the God they represent. Communion is a time for believers to remember the Lord's broken body and His shed blood for all people. We're going to have our sharing time after we have our communion I want to ask the men to come forward and and go ahead and distribute the bread and and just be thinking about that. Do you know him? And if you do, that's great. If you don't, you can know him right now. You can cry out to him, even in the quietness of this moment.